Hi, I'm K.S. Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerdpreneur Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with comics writer and creator of the ID 10T era comic series, Matt McGrath, here to promote the Kickstarter for his second issue. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us, and thank you for reaching out. Um, but outside my introduction, who is Matt McGrath in his own words? Mm-hmm. Matt McGrath is a comic writer. Uh, by evening and a uh, content marketing specialist by day. My, that's my day job. I work at a, um, uh, in the marketing department of a big Canadian university. Um, yeah, so ID10T Error is kind of my first solo outing and self-publishing. So last in September 2020, I successfully funded the first issue, and that was um, a digital-only issue. So for this Kickstarter, which is running now for issue two, I'm also kind of going back and um, funding a print run of issue one. So, so if you're interested, you can get issue one and issue two uh, print for the first time. Uh, other than that, um, yeah, I, I've been published in comic anthologies over the years. So kind of most notably was looking at my desk here, reading them, Called Into Being. That was a, a Frankenstein zine that was celebrating his uh his novel's 250th anniversary and i was also published in uh gothic tales of haunted futures by renegade arts entertainment which was kind of um gothic tales with like a sci-fi romantic twist to them and that was published a couple of years ago so yeah like i said this is my first i guess second solo outing first series solo outing okay so what is ID10T era about. Right. So um, the pitch I give to people is it's about a man named Bradley who creates this, the most, you know, sophisticated AI robot in his basement, just using kind of junk that he finds in his basement or like in trash cans around the city. And um, when he manages to create this, this AI, this completely sentient being, he doesn't do it because, you know, he wants to better mankind or make millions and millions and billions of dollars off this revolutionary technology. He does it just because he wants to immediately torture and kill this thing that he's created. <clears throat> so, of course, what he doesn't really account for is when his robot gains sentience, it's not really into that plan. So it immediately tries to outwit Bradley, the band that created him, uh, and <clears throat> escape him and try and survive as best that it can. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like a cat and mouse um, game from there on out where, you know, Bradley gets the upper hand and the AI gets the upper hand. And it sounds really weird and creepy, and it is, but it, it's also meant to be a comedy. Like, it's very silly and over the top. And, and yeah, so that's that was a concept for the first issue. And then for the second issue, without spoiling it too much, um, it takes place right after the first issue. So the AI has escaped Bradley's captivity and it's escaped into the streets of Toronto, which I, I'm from Toronto. So I thought, hey, might as well make it that place in Toronto. Um, and yeah, so from there, they're kind of this, this weird vendetta, this, this cat and mouse game between these two beings um, spills into the streets of Toronto and uh, yeah, just mayhem and chaos ensues from there. Yeah. When I, when I read it, like the first, I guess the first couple of pages did kind of creep me out a bit. I was like, is this 
did he actually do it out of a a, a real person at first? And but then obviously he um, I don't want to spoil it too much for new readers, but um, he kind of goes into his villain monologue a bit about how the robot was created and why it was created. And I've had things crash before mm-hmm. and like stuff months and months of things are completely gone. I, I'm not in the coding or anything like that. I think that's just way over my head, but I've had projects like crash and I'm just like, just desperate for an answer or for a solution. I mean, people haven't abandoned me for it or anything like that, but when your whole life, what you feel like is your whole life is completely gone. Like, what do you do? How do you pick up the pieces? And for Bradley, obviously it's revenge, some sort of warped version of revenge that he wants against something that he created just so he could destroy it, which is, it is weird in a way. So kind of really is over the top as far as you can go. And it's also a thing about like morality in a way. I don't know if it's something you thought about. It's like, is it really Mark? Because when I when I still thought it was a person, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, someone's gonna come looking for him. But then when he goes and explaining how he actually created this this AI, I'm thinking he kills it. Is it really murder in a way? Is it because he, this AI is sentient in the way that he created, but it's not an actual person too? Yeah. So. How does that work? Maybe that's what Bradley was thinking. Oh, it's not really real, so it doesn't really mean anything. But you made it real, yeah. in a way. So how yeah. does that work? Yeah, I think like um, <clears throat> for him, the fact that it's real, he thinks it's real. It's a sense uh-huh. of being, his personality, and that's where he kind of gets like his. That's where the revenge comes in. That's where he gets gets this kind of sense of like I don't know closure and justice because he kind of imbued this thing with life and that's you know like okay let's just spoil it it's okay (laughs) so bradley in college his his laptop crashes and like he's working on a big project and it it totally craps out um everybody that was working on the project with him is kind of at a loss because everything's done um he fails of course blah 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 like from it's it's kind of this crucial point in his life where he thinks everything goes wrong because his laptop just crapped out on him. Um, so yeah, from there on out, he just gets obsessed and obsessed. Like he he has no outlet to vent his rage because he, you know, yelling at just an inanimate object isn't satisfying for him. Mm-hmm. So that's where the mission of like giving this thing life comes in. He's just so he can kind of get that release out, that emotional release out on this thing and, and get that revenge. So uh, yeah, I think that that's what makes him like a really bad person. That's what makes him the villain. He, he creates life just to kill it. So he, he, he does create something sentient um, and real with feeling. And that's the point because he wants to take that life away because I don't know, I, that, that, that's what revenge is, right? And we want to, we want to ruin somebody else's life because they ruined our life. Um, yeah. So that's, it, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's a weird thing to do. Um, it's a weird, that, that's what makes Bradley's story like him the villain and also so tragic because he's just a guy that's wasted his life on this meaningless pursuit of revenge, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's what I think makes him a compelling and interesting character and also frustrating and awful as well. 
Uh-huh. So could you elaborate on your creative process on um, ID10T era as a whole? So just from it being a thought in your head to working on as a complete work and then finding collaborators to work with to now promoting the first and pretty much the second issue as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So surprise, surprise, the idea came from an experience where my laptop crashed and I lost everything. So that's where it kind of it started. Uh, it's been an idea in my head since college. So back in university, sorry, excuse me, <laughs> gross. In university, um, I was really into film and directing. So I originally started as like a short film idea. And then from there, um, I kind of thought maybe I'd make it into a play, like a one-act play. There's a, a, a theater festival in Toronto called French Festival. Um, it's, it's, you know, you it's in the states too it's like all over the world anyways so it's like maybe i'll make it like into a fringe play and do it that way and that didn't work out and eventually like 10 years later i just finally settled like you know i'll make it into a comic so that kind of took off uh and from there wrote the script during my lunch at work um and then assembling the team um otavio i found on reddit um there's a subreddit there for collaboration so as soon as I saw his work, I was like, yeah, this is the guy for the job. He does very kind of kind of like a mix of cartoonish and realistic. Like it's it's got like a realistic look to it, but in the samples that I saw him do, he would have like his realistic story or like the realistic image as a person, and then suddenly in one panel when there's like an extreme reaction, like the dude had like these gigantic bug eyes or something. So I kind of wanted that style for it. Um like I said, yeah. I think it's a comedy, but it's not really, there's not that many jokes in it per se. It's all about the situation and just the absurd, absurdity of Bradley's weird mission. Yeah, I think the reactions is what makes it funny in a way. <laughs> and you describe it as more like a cat and mouse, Tom and Jerry type of thing. So that I think how it's portrayed on the page really gives it that as well and i liked how um i guess you'll get into the lettering with your lettera but um, i like how the lettering isn't like bubbles like this per i guess panel is kind of just goes along the page in a way mm-hmm. which I, I really like i never i'm not really a big comics person i'm more of like in the graphic novels but I've never really seen a comic like this before, which I really enjoyed. Oh, thanks. I did a print test run, so this is what it looks like, the first issue. It's actually uh, larger than your average comic. Um, yeah. So here's like an uh, average comic. Here's ID10 here against it. So you're getting like a bigger piece of work for the yeah i think bigger actually works because of how detailed it is and the colors in a way i feel like if you were smaller it would compress all that down which would it kind of would it kind of would lose its integrity and again how everything is laid out it kind of has to be taller or larger mm-hmm. i should say in a way for it to re- uh, maintain its integrity yeah yeah i think so too yeah um yeah so uh yeah thanks for pointing that out that yeah, that's otavio like his his cartooning really sells the comedy of it those tom, tom and jerry that's a good example as i always think like bugs bunny kind of looney tunes reactions uh-huh. Bradley like suddenly becomes like a cartoon character with his eyes popping out or something like that so um yeah not a lot of jokey jokes it's very weird but that 
that the illustration really sells the comedy and absurdity of it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Tavio K found him on Reddit. Uh, K Baird, who uh, colors the comic. Um, I just found her on Twitter. I literally just went into Twitter and typed in colorist, and I think her work was, you know, one of the first ones that I found, and instantly like it captivated me. Um, Kay is like an amazing illustrator in her, her own right. She she's um, the illustrator on a graphic novel called uh, A Garden with A Guardian with Ethan Daverna, which was funded on Kickstarter um, kind of around the time that I did the Kickstarter for issue one of this series. Um, yeah, so uh, one of the most consistent compliments I get about the book is the color scheme uh, in the basement, which you know is those um, those really bright blacks, that red and those blues. And it, that's kind of the monochromatic color scheme. So as much as I think um, Atavio sells the comedy of the book, Kay, with her colors, that template really sells the kind of horror aspect of it. It makes it really super creepy to kind of be in, in that basement with the, with the AI. And whenever something really violent happens, you know, you see those like, reds suddenly come to the scene and that kind of dominates the scene when things are a little more calmer then we get those like blue colors that kind of go throughout um yeah and uh cool thing is like i mentioned she's an amazing illustrator and for the kickstarter running now for issue two she actually did a uh print um uh scene from from the first issue so people who backed the kickstarter at the catch-up level so if you buy the print issue one and two you'll get this print by k baird for free so that's definitely an awesome deal to take advantage of um yeah and then uh frank the lettering like you said frank is frank step step well can't pronounce his last name that's embarrassing psychopic um he is an amazing 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 letter i i i I'd been following his work like way before I'd started it or like looking for people for issue one for lettering. So I kind of had in the back of my mind, like I knew I wanted this guy because his work is just so good. And like you mentioned that, that one page, I think it's probably the second page where it kind of like, it's the lettering is kind of like snaking along the page as the, as the AI is kind of like reaching out, like asking for help or like, Bradley's making his way down the stairs. Yeah. Creeping him out and AI is kind of, you know, asking for help, being like, who's there? Um, kind of threatening him with like, um, you know, my brother's a cop, he's going to find me. And yeah, just throughout that whole scene, it's just kind of snaking along, just kind of, it adds to the tempo of the scene and just making it more creepy and sinister. And uh, Bradley's silence and the stepping of the feet that you hear, the thump thumps is not here that you see. Um, yeah, just kind of adds to that sinister atmosphere. And yeah, uh, Frank is amazing. There's like these block letters that he does throughout the book and Bradley is screaming. And I remember when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that's so awesome. I can't believe Frank like hand lettered those, those block letters. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. so I wrote to him and I was like, I mentioned that like, hey, thanks for going that extra mile and like hand lettering those block letters and look so cool and he was like nope didn't didn't handle it or it's all it's all digital all preset i just you know he said like yeah i, I really tried 
have a quality of a hand lettered quality from my letters and yeah that, that really shows i think throughout the book yeah and and just to go off of like i guess the creepy element that's in there in the beginning and i was reading it and he's coming down the stairs and then you see the ai and i'm like thinking that is a real person i'm like what kind of creepy serial killer crap that he has me has me reading like i mean i i i I'm into true crime and stuff like that. So it doesn't matter to me. But I was like, what is this? And then the reveal that he's not an actual real person, that he made him sentient and stuff like that. And it kind of shifts in a way. So it's not, it's really creepy in the beginning, like this horror aspect in the beginning. And then it shifts, but it's not a complete 180. It's not like a whiplash type of thing, which is pretty cool um, and, and good in a way that it transitions to, um, now the ai is in like this survival mode which i think was pretty cool too like it 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 didn't have this life that it thought it did and though i should say even when it finds out it's not a real person it still goes into a survival mode in a way i think um obviously people have it but even machines have it in a way they have some type of back up where it fights against viruses where it fights against things that are not supposed to be there i guess it's coded that way yeah so it was pretty it was pretty cool that even though he knows he's not real he's still kind of behaving like a real person in a way and even though maybe bradley didn't think of it that way like he wanted him to feel just so i guess he can hear him scream when he tortured him or whatever like that but as far as like having feelings and going into survival mode not even just as a ai and knowing to knowing how to i guess learn how to survive because in the beginning he didn't know how to but then when he learned with again i don't want to spoil it for anybody but he learns how to survive when he has to i guess get out in a way so yeah i'm rambling but that he goes into survival mode not only as an ai but as like as a as a person which i thought was pretty cool yeah that's really interesting i, n- I never thought about that aspect of like yeah computers kind of have that self-preservation mode like they virus scans and kind of backups and all that um so yeah it's yeah that's interesting i never thought about that yeah it's kind of like coded just into its very being from the beginning Plus, yeah, i just yeah i wasn't thinking i was just thinking about the survival mode i was like how cool is that that he goes into survival mode even though he doesn't really know how to do that but i don't think any of us really know how to do that unless we're taught to which he kind of is taught how to how to survive mm-hmm. with another ai that's in there that was created by bradley that was like his prototype again i don't want to spoil it for anybody but mm-hmm just how quickly he picks up things. And again, it's not just, I don't think it's just because he's an AI, but because of that human aspect that's been coded into his being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I guess it's a matter of opinion. Like I can't speak from experience, obviously. I've never (laughs) been in a situation where I go into survival mode, but it seems like a very basic instinct. It's just like coded to use that term into our, our, you know, to our humanity, I guess, just like uh, a rabbit, you know, to get to foot caught in a, in a trap, it'll gnaw it off just to escape. It just seems like a very, something very natural for us to do to 
fight or flight type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so it, it's yeah, like it's cool that the AI coming goes into survival mode in issue one, and then for issue two, like I really wanted to kind of explore like that, you know, okay, he survived, he's out, he's escaped Bradley. So like now what? Now now he's kind of confronted with this this information that he was never real. He's just a piece of hardware. Um, but still he has like all these feelings and thoughts and you know that sort of Bible that 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 instinct to survive. So issue two is really about him trying to discover who he is. Like what 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 am I now that I'm kind of defied Bradley and rejected this idea that I'm just this object to be disposed of immediately. So that's kind of his character journey throughout issue two. So how difficult, I guess, was the world building for ID Tinti era? Like how did you manage to create a world that is totally your own, integrate any type of influences you had, but maintain that ID Tinti era is yours in your world and not someone else's? Uh, hmm, good question. I haven't really thought about that. I mean, for the first issue, it was always meant to actually just be a one and done. But it, I had always thought there would be no sequels or anything like that. It was the AI. It's not really a spoiler at this point because we said it, but the AI escapes at the end and it kind of ends on open ended uh, a little bit. But mostly, we know like he escaped. Bradley was defeated in that scene of the story. Um, so yeah, uh, once I was doing the Kickstarter for the first issue, from there, just like doing interviews and things, just naturally I like, kind of thought like where the story could go. Um, and it was always my intention, like if I keep going with the story, I'm going to make it bigger, kind of in every way. So, you know, the first issue, very claustrophobic. It really, 95% of it takes place within two rooms in a house. Um, so for issue two, I wanted to expand that scope to the entire city of Toronto. So there would be like exploring all these different things. I wanted to add more characters, kind of more action, just overall make the whole thing bigger. Um, so yeah, so that it's just the world building kind of just naturally um, built itself, I guess. For issue one, um, it kind of feels like the opposite of world building because it's it's the very, very, very small world. It's just um, in a basement and in Bradley's office itself. So uh, yeah, it just had this very claustrophobic type feel and the world itself doesn't really go far beyond just these three characters. Um, so in that sense, the world building was pretty easy because it, it was, you know, just I just, the world was contained to three rooms, three people or three beings, I guess. Uh, so yeah, it, to be honest, so yeah, it wasn't that hard. I'm doing a comic right now where there is a lot more world building, uh, so that's a lot more difficult. But this one, it just yeah, all kind of came together naturally. So, do you prefer, I guess, this type of world where you know it's confined to a certain space and it can only go this way, that way? Or how are you finding working on this other project where the world is, you know, it has its own laws and status quo and whatever else it may be that you have to kind of know, like lore in a way that you have to know in order to, I guess, write these other characters in the setting. 
So how is that working out compared to this one? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, well, just to go into a little bit about this other thing I'm working on, it's called, it's, uh, what is it called? Can I remember the name? It's called A Journey Into the Abyss. And uh, it's another comic I'm doing with an artist based in Winnipeg. She's called Marissa Mayhew. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about this one. It's it's basically a sequel to A Trip to the Moon. So if you don't know the name, you probably have seen it at one point in your life. It's it's a silent film made by French filmmaker Georges Méliès, kind of the turn of the century. And uh, the most famous shot from it is the guy, the, the person, the man in the moon, where it's like a moon and dude's face is in it and the rocket gets shot into his eyes. So uh, it's basically a sequel to that. It's kind of within the world of Georges Méliès' film. So he made hundreds and hundreds of films within his career, and they're all kind of like these really cool trick films. They're 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 kind of pioneering special effects at the time. They're he was the kind of Michael Bay of his time, where he created these like mind blowing special effects. Uh, so yeah, it's it's in a world like that. Um, so I guess with that, I have a little bit of help because I it, it's kind of going off of the world he created. It's just me kind of expanding upon it and kind of um, connecting the dots, making it all fit together into a, a cohesive thing. Uh, so yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Um, I don't think about it too much, to be honest. I kind of just make it up as I go along, as as I I, I, I focus on the story first and the characters, and then kind of veer off into world building stuff as i go along uh yeah so what advice would you offer or could you offer to other creators um that you wish someone would have told you when you first started huh. um, um well uh in terms of like it know. can be when you've just started doing your own solo projects it can be when you started working with other people it could be yeah. just maybe even oh i wish someone would told me to do this when i started looking for collaborators or even trying to fund my Mm -hmm. projects yeah to be honest i think the hardest part of making comics is getting people to read your comics Mm -hmm. so any yeah i would love some more advice about that um just like how to market your book um get the word out there um kind of build an audience um there's so much you can do like one thing that I wish I'd done for the last car- Kickstarter and this Kickstarter is start a newsletter, just so you can kind of just naturally build your audience. You get all these emails, and you know you can blast it out to your email list um, when you're doing the pre-launch page or when the Kickstarter immediately launches, and you just kind of yeah, you kind of get that groundswell at the very beginning. Um, just like the, the the hustle of marketing your book, like reaching out to podcasts like I'm doing right now. That's really, really important to kind of get your your story in front of people that are kind of outside your your friend circle or even your kind of Twitter sphere circle, just reaching new people. Um, yeah, um, I'm still learning more about the, the whole marketing and PR aspect of, of um, Kickstarter. Yeah, of, of making comics, which, you know, I should probably remember my, my day job is actually marketing. So uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's still so much to learn. Um, in terms of writing, I guess, um, you know, get an editor. Yeah, get the, and if you can't hire an editor, get 
you know, friends or nice people who, who, who were up for reading your comic and yeah, get, get, get eyes on it as soon as you can. Um, especially when you're in your first draft or when you're, when you finished your draft and you think it's perfect, that's when you send it out and, and people will, you know, I prefer it when like people point out flaws in it and have a lot of critical feedback over than you know send it back to me. It's like, oh, it's great. No, I really want to like get into the nitty gritty and see like mm-hmm. what I made, what can be improved. Um, yeah, things like that. So those are my, I guess, two big advice. Get 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 an editor or at least get friends to give you feedback and uh, yeah, learn how to market your book. Do what you can there. So throughout this whole process, do you or did you ever get overwhelmed with anything? Like, did it be ever did it ever become too much? Like, and if it ever has, do you how do you typically manage your mental well-being? Mm, um, um, uh, drugs help. <laughs> Antidepressants are really useful. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, but to be serious, um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I'm a little bit at an advantage. I'm just a very calm person overall, so I don't really get overwhelmed too easily. Um, I usually get really overwhelmed about little nitty-gritty things that don't matter instead of, like, the big-picture stuff. Um, so I remember, like, I was really concerned when I did the first Kickstarter and I was ready to to um send it out just like getting really concerned about like oh my god how am i gonna send out the digital copy like i didn't know like, i did this sounds weird but i didn't know a lot about like uh dropbox and um the google drive or whatever like that so i didn't know how to like send it out and i was just like worrying about all these things like oh my god if people don't get it if it bounces back so they can't download it getting really in my head about that um yeah now i lost the track of your question how do i manage the yeah, how do you manage your mental well-being when it does become too much, if it ever has become too much? Mm. Yeah, um, for me, I think just being so extra, super duper prepared. Um, like for the first Kickstarter, I launched it in the middle of a pandemic. And it was my first Kickstarter, and I'd never printed a book before, I'd never self-published before. So I was like, I'm going to take a baby step here and just do a digital version of it and have a very, very modest goal uh, of 1,200 Canadian. So I, I just didn't want to stress myself out like that. So it was, it was, it was a very manageable goal to kind of promote. And then I didn't have to worry anything about like printing during the pandemic or uh, shipping during the pandemic. I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but uh, I, I kind of, again, done my homework. So uh, did a lot of research about how to um, print, how to prep the files. I found a printer that's in Toronto that's a really, really great, and they helped me like a ton. Um, um, you know, researched ways, found a, a, an organization here in Canada called Chit Chats that helps with shipping, which just reduces the cost and makes it a lot more streamlined. Uh, so, yeah doing your homework way ahead of time so there's not any surprises down the road is a great way to kind of keep me calm and grounded um yeah 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 that, that that's it i mean there i have a lot of other stressors like i got a full-time job i got two children two infant children that i have to take care of as well so um 
yeah, that's stressful, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Well, so, so I'm, well, I guess to add on to that, I guess, has there ever been a time where you kind you felt like you had to put it aside to take care of business as far as with your family and, you know, with your job and your full-time job? Cause you know, a lot of people who listen to the show who are also independent creators, they have a full-time job and they have a family and they have a household and everything else to take care of as well as pursuing their dreams. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it becomes overwhelming. That's why I asked that question with a lot of people because they're in a similar predicament as you or have the same, I guess, life as you with a job and family and they're pursuing a dream. So I asked, how do you, how do they manage their mental well-being yeah. when it becomes too much in a way? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I, I just kind of try to mitigate all that stuff. So like I said, just starting way ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So I just have that breathing space to kind of figure things out or to get the Kickstarter prepped. So I don't have to spend, you know, enormous amounts of time during my day. I can just take an hour during my lunch or, you know, maybe an hour at night once the kids are asleep to work on it over like several weeks or several months. So, you know, doing that, there's plenty of time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, today like I took the day off work so I could just focus on the Kickstarter and get all that nitty gritty stuff done of like, promoting it through Twitter and kind of getting in contact with news outlets, stuff like that. So it took that time for myself just to work. Um, I guess it was also the financial commitment of it all because um, to do the Kickstarter, I had to produce 10 pages of comics before it even launched. So um, yeah, I, I, I sold a big chunk of my comic collection. So instead of, you know, using my own money, which I need to pay my mortgage and pay daycare and, Grocery, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, couldn't do that, so yeah, I, I um, sold some of my my I don't know my precious comic collection to to fund, and uh, yeah, surprise, I actually did pretty well. Um, who knew my Spawn comics from the early two thousands would be like this little mini gold mine that I was sitting on? I had no idea, but I got a lot of money from that. Like, you wouldn't believe how much. <laughs> so I was kind of surprised. Well- well, yeah, that that's a good thing. I mean, sad you had to part with it, but you know, you found something else that you're more passionate about, and you'll be. <laughs> I can let go of my, I don't know, Todd McFarlane collection. Um, but uh, my last question for you, Matt, is what is your idea of success? So I ask that because as creators, if we're not getting regular paychecks from a full-time job or making consistent revenue from our art, we're considered failures, or we're considered ourselves failures. Mm-hmm. Many of us will put our dreams and projects on a back burner or give them up altogether because this career path can be highly intimidating and competitive. So what is your idea of quote unquote success? Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, this is something I talked a lot about with my therapist when I was putting up the first one. Um, excuse me. I think like I kind of had to make peace with myself and come to the realization that you know maybe for my first comic one that's released just digitally it wasn't gonna set the world on fire so I kind of had to temper expectations and if you know it's always nice if I get compliments as soon as it comes out or people buy it right away on Gumroad after it was released or say nice things to review it blah 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 but um yeah I really had to come to peace with the fact that like I love this book so so much and 
it's exactly the book that I wanted to make. Like it's the story I wanted to tell. It conveyed the themes that I wanted to convey. It looked like the book that I wanted to make. So I like flabbergasted, so impressed with the artwork that everybody put together on it. Um, like Octavio, Frank, K. That looks great. Um, so yeah, just just being really happy with the product that I made and well, made with other people, but kind of brought this team together to make. Um, yeah, it, it was. It's something that would not have existed had I not come up with the idea. Kind of project managed the whole thing. The creative team um, and just kind of like the cheerleader and the person, you know, pushing the project forward the whole time. Uh, so yeah, I, I, that's what I would say. If, if you're not, you you know, you're probably not going to make a ton of money off of it. If, if you know, if you can break even, that's amazing. But I think just being really happy with the the story that you told and the way that you told it is is um yeah, you have to take solace in that and really find comfort in it. And I guess that was to be mushy my my idea of success in the end. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else that you want to touch on about ID10T era as a whole that I may have missed? Uh, maybe discuss rewards for potential backers. I know you discussed one already with K with the print, if they get the print issues of one and two. But is there mm-hmm. anything else that um would you feel like would be interesting for potential backers? Sure. Um let's see. So yeah, you can you can get um just digital uh version of issue two. You can get a digital version of issues one and two like i said you can get the print issue one and two and get that free print from k um we're also offering a um a book bundle so you can i i mentioned two anthologies as a part of so you can you can get issues one and two um and a print version of gothic tales of haunted future and another anthology that i was in a couple of years ago called Caged in Flesh, which is a Jackal and Hyde anthology. I have a story in that. Uh, We're offering a chance to appear in the comic, so Octavio will actually draw you in the comic itself. Uh, So as I speak right now, there's five spots for that reward, and two people have taken them. Uh, So if you go to the Kickstarter page, you can see like examples that Octavio did last time, and he he did a really good job. Like he did a perfect, I don't know, uh, drawing of the people that back that. Um, Let me get this. You can also get original pages from issue one. So you can see right here, they're drawn on A4 paper, and they look really super cool. So we got, I think, 10 left of those. So we'll grab one of those. So available. And the last kind of big thing we're offering is Octavio is doing a limited amount of commissions. So you can get a commission from him drawn in uh, pencil and ink on A4 paper. Um, and yeah, and that, that's pretty much it. And um, yeah, it, it's, it started today, which is April 19th, and it runs until May 19th. So we, there's a month to back it. Uh, our goal is 7,500 Canadian. And uh, yeah, I think we're we're offering pretty good shipping rates like around the world. Like mm-hmm. if you're in Canada, it's just six dollars Canadian, which I don't know, it's pretty good, I think. And then for the United States, it's ten dollars Canadian, which again I think is is pretty reasonable now. Yeah, that's um, not bad. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, again, I want to thank a comics writer and creator of the ID10T era comic series, Matt McGrath, for joining us here to promote the Kickstarter for his second issue that's now live. I highly recommend our listeners to consider backing ID10T era and or purchase the first issue if they can. All of Matt's socials and Kickstarter will be listed in this episode's details for those who are interested. Again, I'm KS Garner, and you have been listening to the Solo Nerdbird Podcast. Thank you.